doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Good. I'm good. I'm good. All right. So Texan, born and raised? Um, kind of. Texan, born, not raised. Not raised. All right. But came back. <laughs> came back. So born, left, came back. Yes. And now you're currently in Texas. Yes, I am. Right. Whereabouts? Um, well, I'm in San Marcos, which is in between San Antonio and Austin. So prime location. Nice. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in New Mexico, actually. Okay. So I grew up in Albuquerque. Um, and then I compete for Canada because my mom and her whole side is Canadian. You know what? Let's dive right into it. <laughs> so that's a question I have. And, and I, I guess I've never known the answer to it. So how can you represent Canada? but you're born and raised Texas, New Mexico. How does that work? So I was born with dual citizenship. Okay. Um, so I have the Canadian and American. And essentially when I went pro, I was just able to choose what country wow. I wanted to represent. It wasn't like a fight for you, like Canada and the US were like, we want her. like a job offer like well they gave me this and then this is my salary and these are my hours and you're like you can negotiate nah not, no? nothing like that no wow. i wish <laughs> that's so cool why did you decide canada over the u.s ultimately it was a very selfish decision just because there were a lot there are going to be a lot more opportunities being a canadian pole vaulter than a u.s the u.s is just stacked with the amount of athletes mm -hmm. and athleticism that they have mm -hmm. and Say, for example, there's a competition in Europe. They do not want an entire field full of U.S. athletes. They want mm. a diverse field. So because there were not as many good athletes in Canada, I basically chose that because I'd be given substantially more opportunities kind of throughout the years of my career and through Europe, everything like that. Nice. I mean, that makes sense. I'd do that, too. <laughs> Have you always been a pole vaulter? What did you play growing up or any other sports outside of track and field? Oh, yeah. I, um, I did gymnastics for about 10 years when I was really little. Every little girl did. Um, and then I grew like 10 feet tall and that didn't work out anymore. Uh, but my dad was a distance runner. So he always wanted oh, cool. me to join the track team. Granted, he wanted me to do distance and I was born to be a sprinter. Okay. I was not a good distance runner. Um, so originally I was doing like the sprints and relays and hurdles, stuff like that, which I loved. Um, and it wasn't until my junior year of high school that my coach was kind of like, Hey, you have a gymnast background. I need you to try pole vault. Wow. Is that something that you just dove right into? Cause I, I don't know anybody that voluntarily wanted to do pole vault. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to say back in my day, but not that I'm not old, but like, Back in my day, no, nobody wanted to try pole vault. They're like, yeah. what the heck is this event? I mean, how is this a thing? Um, but now as a coach, I see all kinds of kids coming and they want to try pole vault because they've seen another kid do it and they think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, when I tried it, I was like, mm, this is stupid. Like running with a stick to jump over another stick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> running at like a stationary object. At a stationary also object. Too, yeah. I know. It didn't make any sense to me. And I thought it was kind of silly. Um, but I guess it ended up being the right decision. It worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think having a history in gymnastics give you an edge into getting into pole vaulting? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, even as a coach now, when people walk in and they have little gymnasts, I'm like, yes, I need you in my gym. Um, just because of the body awareness, the upper body strength, the fearlessness, like they've been upside down and it doesn't freak them out. So absolutely, being a gymnast helps. Can you walk me through the mechanics of pole vaulting? Uh, yes, pick up stick, run really freaking fast. <laughs> Um, put it, make sure it goes in the box and fling your body upside down. Pray that you make it over the bar and into the pit. That's it. That's, that's not it. it. That's, that's, that, that is what goes yeah, through right. my head. The There's simpler, no way. Hey, the, you got to simplify it. I mean, really it's not rocket science, even though it feels like it most of the time. How do you make your body go up instead of forward? <laughs> I use, oh, I use different cues in my head, but a lot of times I'm either thinking like squeeze your butt or, I'm trying to just like rock my hips back. Like I'm trying to pretend to do a whole backflip on the pole. Um, 
yeah, it's kind of sometimes it's a little bit scary because you're flying blind. Um, but that's kind of the fun of it. So <laughs> part of the mechanics, when you are up in the air, you have to push off of the pole yes. to then jolt yourself up and over. Correct. Right? How does that work in leveraging yourself with the pole to then go over? Does it happen naturally or something you have to work on? It doesn't happen naturally. It's definitely something you have to work on. Um, the main thing with that, it's hard to describe, but essentially you want to be just so perfectly in timing with the manipulation of the bend in the pole to where you get like the most spring out of the pole as possible. And that makes it easy to push at the end because you're essentially working with the pole instead of against it. So you're not having to fight it so much. Um, and that timing is honestly something that I'm still working on myself. Um, but it's, it's really probably one of the best feelings when you hit that. How can I say it? Like a, a perfect sequence of events. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then you just get that like brief second of float and that's like, oh, that's cool. Oh yeah. That's the feels <laughs> nice. When you're up in the air, do you gut check where the pole is? the bar rather like do you gut check where the bar is that you have to go over or as you mentioned is it kind of like running in into it blindly um it's essentially blind I kind of surprise myself whether or not I'm over the bar half the time wow uh it's really when you go to turn that you become like all your peripherals come into play and you become aware of where the bar is mm -hmm. and then it's like oh I better like suck my stomach in and you know not knock it off with my belly or like move my arm this way. Like it's just, and it all happens so fast. It's, it's really difficult, but it's, it's exciting when you're up there. Cause you got to make like split decisions. That sounds so wild <laughs> and no fear of heights at all. Oh no. But no? I mean, like I, I got like, everybody's, I feel like has like a little bit of fear of heights, but no, like that's not high enough for me to be scared of really. Have you ever been skydiving? Yes, I have. How was that? It was really fun. I have to say, though, I've been bungee jumping, too, and I enjoyed bungee jumping way more. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. There wasn't somebody strapped to me with, like, a whole parachute. I mean, you just, like, oh, you just yeah. fall. That's fair. It is just you <laughs> and the bungee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never been bungee jumping, no. No. Did you do that you in Texas or, or anywhere else? No, I did it in South Africa. What? <laughs> South Africa? Yeah. All right. All right. Back step. Walk me through that trip to South Africa. We, my family and I went for like the World Soccer Cup. Oh gosh. Nice. I couldn't even tell you what year that was that it was there, but because my family are huge soccer fans. Um, so we went and traveled to a bunch of a bunch of different countries like Zambia and whatnot. So we went to, I think it was Victoria Falls and Bungie jumped over the falls. And it was so dope. Let me knock out this intro real quick. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Stay for the Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Elijah. Joining me today, two-time Olympian, professional pole vaulter, track coach, personal trainer, world traveler, <laughs> arguably has the most tattoos as an Olympian, Annika Newell. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me you might win the event of having the most tattoos as an Olympian. Is that fair? I don't know. There could be some like guys in that category that could be comparable. Your experience at Rio and Japan, did you see any other athletes that had as many tattoos as you? Actually in Rio, it was the funniest thing because we were in the call room and there was a pole vaulter from Germany. And I remember her very well. She was very intimidating looking and I was really young. Um, and just like, just stacked and like walked around like with the attitude, stank face kind of thing. And lots of tattoos. Like, I think, I think she even had like almost like a little faux hawk or something like that. And we get into the call room and she opens up her backpack and it's full of stuffed animals. Wow. <laughs> and I'm sitting there putting on my spikes, like looking at her and she looks over at us and it's like, my girlfriend says they're good luck. <laughs> wow and I just remember thinking like you are so sweet like you are not at all what you look like but okay I'll go can I have one like <laughs> no I know are they really good luck I need some of that when you went to the Olympics in Rio mm -hmm. 
were you starstruck at all by any of the other athletes? <laughs> that was literally my very first international professional competition. Mm. I was like straight out of college. I was like starstruck ain't even the word there. I mean, I was so overwhelmed and like, I just pretty speechless at like all the people that I saw, like the celebrities, like we'd be eating in the dining hall and freaking Usain Bolt would walk by and like wave or, you know, like Gabby Douglas is, it, it was crazy to me. How old were you when you went to Rio? I was 21. Right out of college? Right out of college. I just graduated. Yeah. How does one go from just graduating pro athlete, making it to the Olympics? So I was done with my eligibility with Texas State University. So that's why I went um, and competed at school. And my coach asked me if I wanted to go pro and try to make the Olympic team, um, which was we had to hit a certain qualifying standard, like jump a certain height to make that team. And I wasn't there yet, but we trained our asses off that whole summer, ended up hitting the mark. I went to Olympic trials in Canada. You had to place top two. I placed second. So made the Olympic team and uh, got booked to go to Rio. And it was just, it was such a whirlwind. Walk me through some of the behind the scenes. When you went to qualify to do what, essentially the trials, mm -hmm. right? To finish top two. How was that? You were competing in Canada? I was competing in Canada in Edmonton. And it was probably to this day, maybe like the worst conditions I've ever had. It was pouring rain. It was like 52 degrees outside. I went through so many layers. We had rain delay after rain delay. Like it was miserable. And I was like fighting for my life. Um, but I ended up placing second. And I was so pissed. I walked over to my dad. And I was so mad and he's looking at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I didn't win. Like I was so mad. And he goes, I've never seen somebody be upset about making an <laughs> Olympic team. Yeah. And then it dawned on me that I got second and made the Olympic team. And oh yeah. So it was cool. <laughs> That's insane. I know a lot of athletes that have that kind of mindset that like, you don't want to win just yet. When enough to make the team and then you go all out in the worlds or you go all out in the olympics i guess i just the way that i think about it is when i'm going to a competition like i'm not there to get second i'm there to win every time there you go all right so now at what 21 you knew you're going to the olympics you made the olympic team then what so then I got to go and try on like the team uniform and, and do all this really like exciting, fun stuff. Like media was calling me to do interviews like left and right. I felt like a total superstar. Um, so basically like our team athletics, Canada uh, booked the travel for myself and my coach to fly out to Rio and fly, um, go to the Olympic village to stay there pretty much. I think it was like two weeks leading up to the competition just to get adjusted and um, to the living quarters and everything like that. So it, it was just a really neat process in general. Was there any like nuances to the Olympic Village? <laughs> um, I mean, the Olympic Village in general is is pretty cool. Like it's an entire apartment complex that they build just for like the best athletes in the world. Mm -hmm. So like going in, there was gosh, like so many guards with guns and like tanks all around the village. Jeez. I mean, it's all walled off. Like they're, they're super protective there. And like you bust to get there. It's very private. You mm -hmm. have your credentials and that's the only way you can get in and out. Um, but it's really cool. And there's like cafeterias in there, gyms, tracks, walking trails, like stores, shops. I mean, everything you could possibly need, except that it was like living in a tiny little dorm room for three weeks any fun experiences there any cool stories to tell I mean I got to do a lot of touristy stuff in Rio which is really cool and my parents came and my coaches so like we went to the beaches and we went oh gosh like on hikes and everything this were after my event obviously essentially a lot of athletes trying to blow off steam so you've got a lot of partying going on and and some really exciting events like I went to the Red Bull party and that was a lot of fun and yeah it was, it was a good time walk me through the Olympics itself so like I said it was my 
first international competition. Um, and then besides that, the biggest meet that I had been to was the NCAA championships. Mm-hmm. So walking into that arena was just totally overwhelming. Like I, I remember just being like sick to my stomach. I was so nervous. Like the butterflies were just unreal going crazy. And I'm just looking around and like having a hard time breathing and I don't know where to go or what to do. And like trying to figure out where my, where my poles are and how to start. Like, honestly, it was a shit show and I was not prepared. Um, I was a total rookie. And even my coach was like, you know, barking orders at me. And I think at one point I just about started crying, like, stop yelling at me. (laughs) It was bad. I I choked. I honestly totally choked. I was not ready for that competition or something of that magnitude. You placed 29th. That's last. That's like dead last. (laughs) Just making sure. I mean, like, it sounds good when you think about like in the whole world, but like I got last in the competition. It was like me and a couple other girls that tied basically for last. Mm. Let's talk about the performance. You are in it to win it. Walk me through what it was like for you. <laughs> that is my current mindset. That was not old Annika for sure. Like I, I mean, I was just so young. Like I'm an entirely different athlete. I mean, I, I think last year, like I'm like a new species right now than go. I ever was before, but definitely back then, like I did not have the same mindset. I did not know how to prepare myself mentally or physically for those sides of competitions. Like I'd never been around those girls before. I'm used to competing with like little university girls. And these are like top, top pole vaulters that are all at least five, six years older than me. And it was just, I mean, yeah, I, I just, I just wasn't ready to be honest. And a lot of it comes with experience, right? So you must have needed to go through that to now get to where you are today. hundred percent. I remember walking away from that meet and I mean, I, like I was upset at getting last, but it was kind of like, yeah, like I is what it is. Like we weren't ready to, to jump big or anything like that. But I remember walking away and thinking like, I will never be this unprepared ever again. Did you look at it kind of like a wake up call? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was like, this is pro life. And right now I'm not a pro. So like, we got to get to where I am. Maybe not at the time, but looking back now, what did you think was missing? You mentioned the mental and physical aspects of it. What goes into that? What goes into what was missing back then? So we always strategize every year about mental, physical, technical, and tactical. And really back then I had none of those four. Like I was not mentally strong enough to be able to handle, um, you know, that like the pinnacle of competition, basically. Um, I like, I didn't have the mental tools or capabilities physically. I was not nearly as strong as like I I could have been or should have been at that point in my career. Um, even though I was just straight out of college, like there's girls out of college right now that are very strong competitors. And I just, at that point was not one of them. Um, And then technically and tactically, I just didn't have the experience with pole vault. Like that was only my sixth year of pole vaulting ever. So, I mean, I just still like, didn't even know enough about the event to really know what I was doing out there. Mm -hmm. So we just like, I, I really do think it's the maturity and the experience that has brought me to the place that I am now, which is a completely different spot than I was in then. Do you think that says a lot about you that you're fairly new to the game? You made it to the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, I think it does. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people out there with raw talent. There just are. Um, and I always like not to toot my own horn or whatever, but like I always knew growing up that like I was going to the Olympics one way or the other, whether it was gymnastics, whether it was something like I just knew it. Like I was born to be an athlete. Like I felt it in my bones. I've always had like a lot of self-determination. Um, and like a really hard work, work ethic. So like, I knew that about myself, um, Mm -hmm. but definitely like, like that raw talent helps. And then adding on to that is like the experience and the knowledge, like behind the years of training and understanding the sport. I'm waiting for them to make flag football an Olympics (laughs) sport. (laughs) I'll make it there for sure. (laughs) 
All flag right, football, I'll, I'll be there. I always knew I was going to be in the Olympics. If flag football is going to be Flag football is the end. Yeah, I sure. love it. <laughs> All right. So Texas State, how was your experience at Texas State? What did you study? How was it in San Marcos? It was really cool. Like I honestly, so like I said, I was raised in New Mexico and I chose Texas State in part because I was ready to get out of there and just like be on my own. Um, and it was so beautiful. But yeah, Texas State was a party school. I got wrapped up in it my first couple of years. Um, and yeah, that's a big regret of mine, honestly, because I, I just wish I would have found a little bit more balance with things. But I had a great time. Um, I was a ESS exercise sports science major. Um, and I feel like the classes were incredible. And by the time I kind of figured out that, like, I was ready to work hard and track and be like a good competitive athlete, um, that's when things started to kind of fall together for me and started actually winning competitions and like enjoying the whole experience with the track team and traveling. Mm -hmm. um, Cause that's one thing that I miss a lot is like being on a team. Mm. I had so much fun, like even on the bus rides to and from, I mean, those sucked, but like, like, I don't get that anymore. It's just me and my little car, like driving to the meet now. And I'm like, kind of wish that I was on the bus with the team right about now. Did you always want to go to Texas state? It was between that and the university of Arkansas for me, actually. Okay. Um, but I did have other offers to be like a multi at other schools. Oh, cool. Um, which I really put a lot of thought into because I really enjoyed like hurdles and long jump and stuff like that. So thought I would have made a really good heptathlete, um, which maybe I would have, who really knows. Um, but ended up going to Texas state and just being a pole vault specialist. Um, and again, I guess that was just the right decision. <laughs> so going to Texas state, actually, they had said that I had the possibility to do other events besides pole vault. Kind of leave it open. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily be like a heptathlete or a multi or anything like that, but that there was a possibility. Well, as soon as I got there, they got an entirely new coaching staff and the new coach said, just pull vault. And I was kind of like, oh, like, I thought I was going to do a couple other events too. What other events would you have liked to have done? I would have loved to have done like the 400 hurdles or long jump if they could have like made me strong enough, fast enough for that. Um, Cause like I had a decent mark, but like little white girl can't jump very far. So <laughs> I just enjoyed like the thrill of doing a lot. Multidimensional. Yeah. Nice. All right. Before we get into your day-to-day -day now, let's take a step back again, coming out of your first time at the Olympics. What happened after that? I mean, the Olympics was just such a shock. Um, and so we really kind of went back to the drawing board and had to figure out like what we needed to do differently in order to get into these bigger meets and be more prepared for the next world championships. And when you say we, it's you and your coach. Sorry. Yeah. Me, yeah. Me and my coaches, plural, because it's, it's like a team. Yeah, basically. Gotcha. So I have my myself and then I have my pole vaulting coach and then I have my strength and conditioning coach that like writes all my workouts. Um, so the three of us have been a team since I've been at university. So we've been together for about 11 years now. How did you sync up with these coaches? They, they were my coaches at Texas state. Nice. So I've just stuck with them ever since. Um, and even though they aren't at Texas state anymore, um, we've still maintained the relationship, uh, just because we worked so well together. Um, I mean, and essentially now we're like a family, so who are you training with? Who do you train with other athletes outside of you and your coaches? So I don't train with anybody. I train completely solo and my strength and conditioning coach does not live in this area. So I never see him unless I go into a training camp with him. Um, and then my pole vault coach, I only see on pole vault days, which is two times a week. So besides that, every other workout I do, like whether it's in the weight room, on the track, like doing sprints, it's completely by myself. Like there's usually not a soul out there. Um, so it takes a lot of like self-motivation and whatnot. Like there's nobody holding me accountable. If I need to get up and do a workout at 6am, like there's no one to tell me to get up. There's no one waiting for me. Like I just gotta make sure I get my ass up and go. Um, but that's where I feel like I kind of thrive because I do a really good job pushing myself by myself, um, as opposed to being with other athletes that, 
like, like I hate to sound this type of way, but I can't stand other athletes that don't want to work or like that complain. Oh, that just, it just makes me so sad. So like, I don't want to be around that, like take that negativity out of my workout. Um, so like, I'd rather be by myself most of the time, honestly. Mm -hmm. How do you find that element of self-motivation? Sometimes it, it really requires like having to force it out of yourself. Like there are some mornings where I'm like, I'm tired. I don't, like I said, nobody's waiting on me. Like, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, but literally it's like, okay, sit up one step, two step, like right, left, right, left until I find myself at the track. And then when I start going, it's just like, it comes out of me again. Um, that doesn't happen very often for me to be completely honest. Like, I think, I honestly think that you're either born with it or you're not like, it's just, it's something that's like, like in your DNA, either you have that internal force and willpower or you don't. <laughs> I agree. And also disagree. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you why I disagree because okay. I think people it's well within their capabilities to build habits. Yes. In that respect, I think you can build that kind of self-motivation if you work at it. It's like a muscle. Habits can be built, habits mm -hmm. can be broken, and you can break bad habits and build good ones. No, that's totally fair. And like, honestly, the whole idea of like social media and people posting like their workouts or like them being at the gym. I remember when that first got really big on Instagram and a lot of my friends were like, like, why are you posting your life on social media? But I think it's a great tool that makes people or helps them develop those habits. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, they want to go and show that they're at the gym, but they got to the gym to take that photo. So it's like, like that's helping them get there then. Hey. And also you never know who's watching. Just that one person that sees your post or sees you working out or that you got up today, it could inspire them to do the same. Exactly. Exactly. Almost like doing it for them too. Do you have a game day ritual? Kind of. Um, I don't totally believe in that just because a lot of time, like a lot of times game days are different, right? Your competition can be at different times. You can be in different locations where you can't have access to like whatever your ritual may or may not consist of. Right. Even like in terms of food, people will be like, what do you eat the night before? I'm like, I don't really have like a meal because a lot of times it's like, I'm at a competition and I have to eat whatever they give to us that night. So I, I don't fully believe in that stuff. Um, but there are certain things that I do to help myself kind of get in the zone. Um, you know, like that phrase or like mentally prepared or help myself physically, whether it be like using my little massage guns, like work on certain areas or like going over my pull, like my vaults in my head before the competition, stuff like that. You have a go-to playlist. Kind of, I have like my, my vault playlist, which is just like, honestly, it's a whole lot of old, like oldie rap and hip hop. Um, cause that, those just, those songs just hit, like they just get me hype. So that's what I'd be listening to a lot, but either that or like not that much music because before the meet, like, I don't want to be too energized. Mm. It's almost like I have to keep myself a level of calm before the competition. Cause I know it's going to be a really long time, especially with pole vault. You have your warm up, then you have an hour long warm up on the pit where you're actually vaulting. Then you have to wait until it is your turn to come into the competition. And then in between every jump, you don't know if it's going to be five minutes or you don't know if it's going to be 45 minutes before your next jump. So like, it's, it's so long that I, I kind of have to keep myself pretty mellow before the competition. How do you combat that? The warm up, wait, warm up, wait. This is because of like certain books that I've read or people that I've talked to. Um, but I kind of know like where my levels need to be in terms of like how much energy versus how relaxed I need to be is like where I perform my best. Mm -hmm. So I try and get myself into those levels before a jump. And then after I complete it, I let them fall back down. And just kind of stay zoned out for a little bit until I know that it's about to be my turn again. And then I bring myself back up to those levels. Post Rio, now you're back in Texas leading up to Tokyo. How yeah. was that experience? 
It was great and it was bad. I had a spectacular performance at the London World Championships in 2017. I was, like I said, came off of Rio and I was like, this ain't the same thing to happen to me again. And I was way more prepared. I was way more confident. Let's touch base on that real quick. Okay. How did you feel more prepared? Like what changed post Rio? So post, it was like, okay, now we know what we're in for. Now I know what the competition looks like, feels like, smells like, you know, all the senses. Um, And then that next year, I got a ton more experience with traveling to other international competitions. Um, So I was like surrounded by those girls a lot more than I was previously. Um, And we came up with like an actual strategy, like an actual game plan. So like, I remember in at the world championships in London, 2017, like they were, we were walking under the arena and you could just hear, like, it was just humming from the noise out there. And it was way more people in the stands than Rio. Like London was packed. It was like sold out. And I remember my heartbeat starting to go and I was like, no, no, no. Like we prepared for this. I get two minutes to like scan around. And then like, that's it. Like that's, that's what we prepared for. That was the game plan to kind of like, take it in. Yep. Take it in. So I remember like I walked out and it was like fire came out of the ground and stuff like that. And like, I get the gooseies just thinking about it still, (laughs) but I'm like looking around, like just about to cry. And I'm like, okay, focus. There's a pole vault pit. There are my poles. We're here for business. And like, I honed it all back in. And the way I didn't think about it then as I do now, even, but like, one of my favorite phrases, excuse me, is make your butterflies fly in formation. So it's Mm. like all the, all that nervous energy, it's like hone it in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I feel like we do so much better. And each year it's gotten better and better, but that that was the first year that I was able to kind of achieve that at a big meet. You mentioned having that exposure to other athletes. When you go internationally to these competitions, you see more or less the same athletes time and time again? Yes. I mean, it depends on the level of competition that you go to. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously the higher like diamond league level competitions, you're going to get like the best of the best um, versus like maybe a little intercontinental meet that's here and there. Um, and then now they have the entire like point system, which is pain in the ass. We don't get into that. Um, but like different meets are, you know, ranked at different levels and have different points attached to them. So, but yes, more or less, I saw a lot of the girls that I would be seeing like at world or at the Olympics, stuff like that versus just like the U S girls that I see all the time that I competed against in college. And that I see at this meet in Texas or that meet in North Carolina, like it's just, it's a different experience, different world. Do you feel like you kind of play to the level of competition that you're going up against? Sometimes I definitely find that like I've been to a couple meets where the level of competition was very low and I could feel myself like, like I said, I like to hit certain levels of energy Mm -hmm. um, to be in my peak performance levels. And I found myself not being in those um, just because I knew it wouldn't take very much to win the competition. And I really don't like saying that out loud because I feel like you should go into, into every competition, no matter who you're competing against, like ready to compete at your very best, like no matter what. Um, so like it, it kind of just is what it is. And you take the lessons from those meets too. And you, mm-hmm. and you learn from those as well. It's a natural instinct to take it easy a little yeah. bit when you're in those circumstances as an athlete, especially as a a highly competitive athlete, when you have your foot on the gas training tournaments, competing for so long and that level of intensity, when there's a small sliver of an opt-out, like you don't have to compete as hard, run as fast, jump as high. Like you can take it back a little bit. Oh, I just, I hate that so much. Oh, even what you just said, like we use that as a reference all the time in pole vault. Like um, letting your foot off the gas. Like you have to be full send in pole vault. Like there's no hesitations, nothing like that. Um, and sometimes I do sometimes like my foot kind of hovers and that, excuse me, but that shit pisses me off. Like, Oh gosh. 
Do you have any kind of hesitation that still hits you today? Actually, yes. And this is like kind of a common thing with pole vaulters. Like we deal, you go through phases and you don't really know why they happen. Um, But all of a sudden you become scared of something for no reason. Like, it's not like, you know, you have a fall and, and all of a sudden you're scared of like breaking a pole or you're scared of missing the mats. Like you just suddenly become scared of something and you don't know why. Um, this time I actually know why. And it's because I got a really bad injury in my foot. Um, and so I'd be running down the runway, not feeling confident in my physical abilities to make it into the pit, to make it onto the mats. So I'd always like almost see myself getting thrown back the other way just because I wasn't fully believing or like buying into the fact that like I was physically okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's just like super frustrating. And like some of that, like letting off the gas, like you just, you can't do that. You just, you just got to go for it. And like, (laughs) let let the chips just fall where they may. Like if you're going to get thrown back, get thrown back. Hell. Has it ever happened to you breaking a pole, missing a mat? I've broken a, a couple of poles um, and I have gotten thrown back a couple of times. None of that's very fun. Um, but it's, and like the breaking a pole can be really bad. It can be really dangerous. Um, Cause a lot of times when the pole breaks, like it usually pops you somewhere on the body and can break bones or bruise you really seriously, or can like break your hand from holding it and like pops. Um, so that's, probably the most dangerous thing that can happen. Um, but like missing the mat or something like that, like people do that all the time and they're completely fine. And honestly, sometimes it's like a reminder, like, Oh yeah, that, that really wasn't that bad. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) For the people that don't know, how high can you go? How high does the bar go? Does the bar go? Good Lord. Well, freaking Mondo de Planis, the boy wonder pole vaulter keeps raising it. Like however high. Um, but the height that I go is about 15, six. So 470 meters. Jeez. That's pretty high. So what about the foot injury? What happened? Um, it was just an overtraining injury. Um, it was some pretty severe plantar fasciitis. One of those things where like I was, it was hurting me and I just ignored it and didn't do what I needed or didn't take the rest time that I needed to do. Um, which became a problem, but it just it is what it is. Another learning lesson, and we're fine now. I'm healthy. All right. So, 2017 London, great experience. Similar story to Rio qualifying for Tokyo. So, qualifying for Tokyo, I was, oh my gosh, like I don't fully know how to describe it, but I was an animal. Like we just, we went into that year and we drilled and drilled. And like, I had my technique dialed in. I had like, my confidence was at an all time high. Like I was going to get a medal. Like I was sure of it. I was like seeing signs all over the place. I was like, it's my year. It is my year. And I came out really strong. Like I hit a PB at my very first meet of the season. Nice. Um, Had a super strong indoor season, super strong outdoor season. Like just was feeling really good. Um, Went into the Olympics. And so there's a preliminary round and then a finals round. And in the prelims, I opened at, so you can choose like what bar you enter the competition at. Like you don't have to enter at the first height. Um, so I didn't like, I was just so strong. Like I entered, um, either like one or two heights later, like cleared my first bar, first attempt. And then we had a rain delay and I was so like confident in everything. I like, I think I was like dancing in the rain at one point, like just having a great time. And then after the rain delay, I think I was the second person up for the next height, cleared at first attempt. And that was all I needed to make the final. Like that was it. I was feeling so good. And then for the final, we might, we meaning my coaches and I had a strategy or like a plan in place as to what I was going to do in terms of like what poles I was going to be using. Um, we had for the first time played around on some longer poles, which can be super like advantageous 
if you can handle them. And I had competed on them twice. Um, so I wasn't totally like accustomed to them, like didn't have them quite as like lined up or dialed in as my smaller series, but it had the potential to give me like those super high bars that were going to medal. Um, unfortunately, in the final, we, even though it rained in preliminaries, it was like dead still. So there was no wind. In the final, we had a wind coming at our face, which the poles when you're carrying them are like a sail. So they pretty much like fly whichever way the wind pushes them. And I mean, I was going like all in. So I was jumping on the bigger poles and it didn't work for those conditions. And it was like such a heartbreak because like I could like taste, I could like taste that metal sand and it just, it just didn't work for those conditions. Like I would have needed to have been on my smaller series. Um, but like we made that plan. I was sticking to it basically. Um, so it was, it was really like really frustrating. I had a hard time after that meet kind of like wrapping my head around everything. <laughs> when you did your first two attempts, were you still doing the longer pole or were yeah. you on the shorter series? Nope. I stayed on the longer pole, especially on your final attempt. Um, it's not a good idea to go to a smaller pole. Cause usually on a final attempt, your final attempt, you're like balls to the wall. Like it's third attempt. You're getting like really energized. Um, so like I made, uh, decisions, like I brought, you know, the standards that hold the bar, like I brought them forward some more. Um, and I did what I needed to do with like my, where my grip was and my step, I came down the runway and I was feeling really good. And I went up, and basically it was like, I went straight up and straight down. Dang. Like there was just no movement over the pit. Like they just didn't roll. But you were committed. Yes. I was going to stick to my guns. Wow. And like hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like you can always go back and be like, well, you should have. Well, yeah, I should have. But, mm -hmm. you know, I was going for gold and the like the winning jump was freaking high. And even to get third place, like that was a high jump. Like I would have needed to hit a new PB. And to do that, I would need to be on those bigger poles. So walk me through the 13 different variations of your poles. They totally range from like, like I have little 13 foot poles in the bag and I have 15 foot poles in my bag. And the 15 foot poles are like those big mother effers. So when you reference shorter poles and longer poles, shorter, 13 feet, longer, 15 feet. Yes. Okay. Yep. There has to be a, a minimum requirement and a maximum, right? There, I mean, there's no minimum or maximum requirement. It's really like really? You, oh, you can jump on whatever you want to jump on as really? a professional. Yes. Like you could jump on a 10 foot pole if you wanted to. You could jump on a 20 foot pole if you really wanted to. I don't know how that would work, but. That's wild. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's no pull requirements. Think of it like golf, right? Because they're even made out of the same um, type of materials, but like it's essentially you fit the poles to the athlete. You fit the clubs mm. to the athlete, like whatever works with you just works. Another point I was trying to get to earlier is how you push yourself off of the pole. So if mm -hmm. you have a shorter pole, but you're going a higher bar that element of pushing your body over the bar Correct. is yeah. more prominent than if you have a longer pole. Yes, absolutely. Look, you're, you're getting it. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so interesting. Why not do a longer pole all the time? So there's not a lot of women that are jumping on 15 foot poles. Um, the reason being the way that they're made, you have to be the right amount of strong and fast to handle the pole for it to like move from point A to point B over the mats. Um, and you're like where you hold has to be at a certain point in order for you to like get that, that fling the pot from the pole, a lot of physics behind it, but essentially it's like, I 
only got to the point where I was like strong enough, fast enough, high enough grip towards the end of my season. Like it took a lot of building up um, and a lot of competitions on the smaller poles, like gaining confidence, gaining speed. Um, And then finally it was like, okay, you're ready to graduate, to get on these bigger poles. Um, So we started training with them before the Olympics, knowing that, you know, we think that we're going to try and use them. Um, So like I said, I I got two competitions on the 15 foot poles um, and they went well, not great, but at least we kind of knew like where I would be at. Um, But like I said, unfortunately, conditions just were not in our favor and just didn't didn't quite work out. (laughs) Are you more numbers oriented or experience oriented? Meaning, do you look at the physics or is it I've tried this, I know what works and I know what doesn't? I look at it this way. I know the physics, but I am 100% the type of athlete that likes to like keep it simple, stupid kind of thing. Mm. (laughs) Like I need elementary cues. I understand concepts and I know the physics behind it. And after I take a jump, my coach and I will like analyze the video and we'll look at angles and like takeoff angle and hips angle and like this, that, that. Um, So we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm but I don't think of it like while I'm actually running down the runway. <laughs> um, and I have, like, I remember a coach, what was he yelling at me about? He was seeing something, some physics, but he was like yelling at me that my molecular angular <laughs> takeoff position was wow. not at like a 95 degree. And I was like, coach, that's, <laughs> that, that, like what say it more simple simplify this i like the physics of pole vaulting now let's see (laughs) Um, uh, yeah he wants all the attention now i see that for those listening my puppy is currently (laughs) hung to the back of my chair trying to be a part of this podcast (laughs) i'm sorry you guys (laughs) (laughs) i can't help it what was the question again Essentially, has your game changed with the experience that you have now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's changed a lot. And actually, it's really interesting because so even though I'm like way stronger and way faster than I was in 2016, I actually compete on smaller poles than I competed in in 2016. Um, and I feel like it's because. I have such a better understanding of the vault. So I'm not just like, like a bull in a candy shop kind of thing. Like I'm not coming through and just plowing through the pole. My technique has gotten so much better. So I don't need to be like coming down the runway, like a freight train. I'm so much more controlled in my approach. Um, so yeah, it's like technical things and tactical things. Like where my grip is have changed a lot over the years. Walk me through your day to day. Some days are crazier than others. So usually I'm up by around 6 a.m. So not quite a 5 a.m. earlier bird like yourself. Um, but I have my breakfast, got to fuel myself for the day. Um, I usually start by doing like a little morning stretching, um, getting myself ready for practice, grab my gym bag, go to the track first. Um, usually it's either like a pole vault workout or a track workout, meaning like sprints, sleds, that kind of stuff. I am usually at the track for about two hours or so. Um, and then I go and either do a physical therapy session or I do like a recovery session at like my cryotherapy or something like that. Um, anything to just like get my body right because track and pole vault, like it's a lot of pounding and I am getting older and I gotta make sure like I take care of all the little aches and pains that I get. Um, from there I go to the weight room And I usually spend at least two hours in the weight room, uh, for my weights workout. After that, I go home, walk my dog, take her out, grab food. And then I drive to go and coach for another four hours. Um, and I know usually I eat dinner while I'm coaching because I get home like right after nine and I'm pretty ready to like shower and get into bed after that. That's a full day. Yeah, no, it's definitely a full day. I kind of love it though. Like when I don't have stuff to do, I don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Like I like to keep moving. 
So what about personal training? So I haven't done a whole lot of that um, this past year. I kind of stepped away from that just because uh, because I was traveling so, so much. Um, and with my coaching job, it's really easy because that's my pole vault gym and there's other coaches that can step in. Whereas the personal training, um, if you have a client, like you, you don't want to just leave them. Um, so I kind of stepped away from that and I started doing like the online coaching or personal training. So I would write workouts for people. Um, people would send me videos and I would critique them, stuff like that. So I would do a lot of that on the side. Um, and that was helpful when I was like overseas or traveling when I did, had some free time and was able to do that kind of stuff. This past year traveling, that's mostly competing. Yes. Nice. Yes. So how has this past year been for you? It was a little rocky because of the injury coming back was really stressful. And we tried to get back like, well, we tried to get back way too quickly. Um, we didn't, we did not take the time to go through the basics of training and of pole vault that we usually go through. Um, and that really hindered my training this year. I could tell like a big difference in the way that I was competing and performing. Um, but I still ended up having a really good kind of like end to my year. Like I, I did really well at world championships. Um, and then at this last meet in the UK, I did well. So I've been overall pretty happy about it. In terms of a season or a year, when does it begin? When does it end? Is there ever really an off season? There kind of is. So the season starts January 1st. The season ends um, usually end of September. So the off season is like one month ish kind of, and then you got to get like right back into it and get ready for indoor season again. That's 24 seven. It's, it is 24 seven for sure. I get about four weeks off of training and then we hit it pretty hard. He's ready to go out now. He's ready to go. All right, dude. Wait. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. That's cool. Your he's dog's the cutest. Him. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best. All right, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we can wrap this up. I mean, we talked about a lot. This is great. I know. We did talk about a lot. Right now, you're currently in off season, but when it comes to next year competing, what's next? I learned a lot from this year and I... I've never been more hungry. So mm. I have got two years before the next Olympics. Like this is the penultimate year and I'm going to train my ass off to get as strong as I possibly can, both mentally and physically. Um, I plan on breaking some records this year and then coasting into the Olympic year prepared to come back with a medal. Nice. Stay hungry. Yes, That's for awesome. sure. <laughs> That's really cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. Let me do a quick sign off. Okay. Stay tuned. More to come. As always, stay for the stories. <laughs>